listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, I am going to read from Psalm chapter number 84. Let's stand together and we will read in the scripture uh, together. It is my privilege and my honor to teach and preach the word of the Lord for all of you uh, who are here in this house. It is something I'm not worthy of, but it is my honor to have been included. So we're going to read at Psalms 84 and I want to direct your attention down to verse Verse, verse number 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Can I have a big amen? amen. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And can everybody say amen? I am preaching this subject, a sun and a shield. Before you're seated, turn around and slap your neighbor and say, I expect lots of amens in this church house here today. Never underestimate how much of a blessing it is to people to give them permission to slap somebody nearby. It is a true blessing in their life, and they're forever changed by the experience. And if you do it on a regular basis, well, that's called marriage. See, that was funny, and no one laughed, but it's not my fault that you are not having the therapy of slapping one another, so... Uh, good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you wonderful, beautiful people. So we are talking about the 84th Psalm, and we are looking to this passage of Scripture to get inspiration, to get instruction, to fellowship one with another, and to rejoice in this wonderful, uh, anointed Word we think of as the Bible, Holy Scripture. There is life in the Word of God. Can I have an amen? There's renewing in the Word of God. And we come together and we talk together to celebrate uh, the power of the Word one with another. And we have, of course, read and sung and preached from this Psalms 84. If you've been around church much at all, you've heard this statement said in a very preacher style of excitement. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. And everyone says, amen, than to dwell in tents of wickedness. We love, we would love, we love this passage and we celebrate it. But before, before we get too deep into it, I want to kind of take uh, a view from 30,000 feet and talk a little bit about what Psalms do for us and how they help us and how they bless us. Uh, Psalms are really a form of poetry that has survived the toughest test of all, which is the test of time. And these psalms, they are offered from men and women of worship who would write and then sing before the whole house of Israel. And it was so perfectly said. 
it was so beautifully uh, communicated that those words were recorded and celebrated by many more people than just the initial uh, lips and voices of the writer of the psalm. There is uh, some some interesting things to learn about how uh, psalms and poetry uh, speaks to the human heart. I, in the process of studying for this message, I did some searches on this kind of a thing, and I actually found some work that had been done by psychologists and other social studies type people who st- uh, survey uh, how humanity uh, lives and how we how we how we worship and all of these things, but they're not coming at it from a religious point of view. They're coming at it from a uh, very much a science-based uh, learning structure. And I actually found some research papers that are done in journals of uh, psychiatric health that are about the Psalms themselves. And one of them, I actually was reading the abstract. I'm not smart enough to read the study, so I was just reading the abstract, which is the summation of the study. And they, they talked about how Psalms becomes a therapy of words. Well, that caught my interest because I, I love that phrase. I, I myself have lived that phrase when I did not know exactly what to say. I would come into the presence of the Lord and I would find myself singing a song or quoting a psalm. I did not have the right words to say. You see, one of the truths about being a human in this world is that a lot of times the problem we have is not knowing the right thing to do. It's dealing with the emotions of where we are at at a certain moment of time. You often know the right thing to do. The problem is not knowledge. It's you're struggling to fix something in your spirit. You can be fighting with discouragement or despair, but know the right thing to say in your heart. I know people that grew up around the church or they grew up in a household where their parents were religious or had faith, and they can tell you all the right things to say, but they still struggle with depression. This is not the will of God. How about a better amen than that? This is not the will of God. You see, it's possible that you know that God said he's always going to be with you. It's possible you know that it's going to be all right. It's possible that you know you've, as preachers like to say, read the back of the book and you know we win. You know all this stuff, but you're still living with fear. You see, the problem isn't knowledge. The problem is your inability to fix your feelings, your emotional reality. And what the Psalms do is they address the fact that you have feelings and you are a a creature with emotions and passions and you can be terrified even though you know the promises of God. I might even get to preaching here a little bit today. Uh, I, 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 I want you to see, I want you to know, I want you to see that you may know that it's going to be okay, but you're living in fear. You're waking up with anxiety. The Psalms becomes a therapy of words. Now, that's not my language. That is not a religious person's language. That is truly a scientist, a psychiatric trained uh, a doctor to study the, the human experience. And, and what they're talking about is basically this. 
this. The psalmist says it better than I can ever say it. They say it better than I can ever speak it. I can't write it as beautiful as they wrote it. I can't sing it as beautiful as they wrote it. And so what I'm able to do is I am able to go to the Psalms and find somebody who can speak it better than me. They made more beautiful words than me. And I am able to take their experience of worship and and, and, and exaltation in the presence of God and make it my own. This is what the Psalms are given for. It is so we, having not the ability perhaps they have, having not the, the freedom of language and communication that they have, all of us are able to be participants in their worship session. When we come into the house of the Lord and we sing together, in fact, this morning when I met with the, uh, my praise team uh, before the service, we meet about an hour before the service and we were praying, and I told them, I said, you know, people's going to be coming from all over the city, they're going to get here, and so what we've done is uh, we've created a team to help them come to church, help them forget about the troubles in their life, help them to uh, lay down the anxieties in their heart, and we, we, we've created this team, and this team is highly focused to help people get past all the junk in their life and come into the presence of the Lord. And I said, here's the good news. All you guys got picked to be on the team. I am part of the team to tell you today you're going to make it. I am here with a purposeful intention to tell you that you are not alone, that God loves you, that he is committed to you, that he wants to see you blessed. He wants to see you mighty in faith. He wants to see you with the songs of praise on your lips. God wants you to leave this house with more joy than you came in it with. And these psalmists, they poured out of their spirit in such a beautiful, powerful way that the people who heard it said, man, we really ought to write that down. And so we have these psalms. We usually think of the psalms having been written by by King David. And of course, it is true that he wrote, I would say, the majority of them. Uh, We feel sure, or I say we, but Bible scholars feel sure of 73 out of 150 were definitely written by King David. And there is strong reason to believe at least a dozen more were written by King David. Perhaps the next best-known songwriter of Israel was a man, a priest named Asaph. He wrote many uh, uh, psalms, approximately a dozen uh, that he wrote. Uh, there are 50 psalms that are called orphans because we don't know who, who precisely wrote them. No designated uh, psalmist is given. There are some minor contributors of others. Solomon wrote a couple psalms. Uh, Moses wrote one. Uh, Ethan, the Ezraite, and and Heman, the Ezraite, both of them wrote one psalm each. But a group that you will hear occasionally mentioned are the sons of Korah. They wrote 11 that we know have, possibly 12. And they, they put their love and their worship in words in a very powerful and a very, a very unique way. Um, this psalm we read here together, Psalm 84, this is 
one of the songs written by the sons of Korah. And so real quick, I should tell you about the sons of Korah. The original tabernacle of Moses wasn't much to look at. It was ugly on the outside, but it was beautiful on the inside. And it was a place where uh, they worshiped the Lord and they offered the sacrifices appropriate to the Lord. There was a time where rebellion was brought against Moses as the leader, and it was led by a man by the name of Korah, and he led a very strong division against against the church. Uh, I say the church, I mean the house of Israel, and so it was it was successful in that uh, a lot of people were uh, drawn into his complaint with Moses, and he basically made this this complaint. You know, sure Moses is anointed, but there's lots of us who are anointed, and we all we all should be given the same kind of uh, respect and value that Moses is, and uh, we're glad Moses is anointed, but we're we're all anointed, and and so this instantly caused division uh, in a in the church, and in the I'm keep saying the church, but the house of Israel and the group, the body of believers, and so the Lord. Not every time. In fact, it's fairly rare for the Lord to instantly judge something. But this story of Korah and the rebellion led against Israel, uh, led against Moses as the leader of Israel. It's one of the few places in the scripture where judgment was instantaneous. The Bible tells us that literally the ground, there was an earthquake and the ground swallowed up this rebellious mob. But all of the children of, of Korah were not with him. And he had he had sons who were not there in standing in the place of the place of rebellion. And so they were saved. And this very fascinating thing comes. They, rather than being excluded from the house of God, they are intentionally included in the house of God. I want to say that again. If you don't get anything else I say today, I want you to get this. These sons of Korah, they represent a little bit of church embarrassment. I I know it said church. I did it intentionally that time. They represent uh, a little bit of, shall we say, um, embarrassment among the children of Abraham because they are the marks of open rebellion against leadership. But rather than hiding them from the people, God makes an intentional place for them in worship. The enemy wants to tell you because of your past, you don't have a place in the house of God. I want you to know the devil's a liar. In spite of your past, you have a place in the house of God. There is no sin greater than witchcraft save uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit because a sin of witchcraft is a sin that isn't simply of the flesh but has spiritual consequences. I don't have time to to get into this Bible study here today, but uh, some kinds of sins have spiritual consequences, not simply transgressions of of the flesh, uh, pride of life, lust of the eye, lust of the the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. Uh, I'm talking about a type of a transgression that has spiritual consequences and it gets into other people and it brings about it brings about a spiritual battle. This is why when Peter gets out of line and speaks against the call to the cross that Jesus has set before himself, when Jesus rebukes Peter, he does not simply say, shut up Peter. Uh, he says, get thee behind me Satan for thou art an offense unto me. Certain kinds of sins have spiritual consequences. This is why we need to be careful of speaking against the move of God. We need to be 
careful speaking against what God is doing because we are not simply speaking uh, the sins of the flesh. We are speaking against what God is doing. And uh, the teacher of uh, Paul, I'm off the reservation here today. I'll get back to my notes in a minute. But Gamaliel gives us the gold standard on how to speak about things that may or may not be of God. You simply say, "I if it's of the Lord, it'll last. If it's not of the Lord, it won't last. And um, if it's not of the Lord, it won't matter. And if it is of the Lord, I don't want to be on the side opposing the Lord. Do you see? Certain kinds of sins, they they literally, that's why I, I you need to be careful speaking against uh, churches. You need to be careful speaking against preachers. When you have someone else who wants to bad mouth a preacher, even if he's not of your exact group, don't, don't be in the business of trashing ministry because it may or may not be of God. God's hands are bigger than we can see. God has sheep we know not of. I had There's some preachers in Charlotte that are very famous and I occasionally will have people try to get me in a bad mouthing session to talk about them and how bad they are. Hear me today. I refuse to do it. I've always refused to do it. If God has any part of it, you're not going to catch me speaking against God. But the sons of Korah, they represent the shame of this people of faith. But God says, we know your history. We know your errors. You have the kind of sin that everybody knows about, not the kind that can be hidden. Let me tell you today, and I said this in the 9 a.m. service. I don't know that I've ever said this before, but I want to say it today. There are certain kinds of sin that everybody knows about. They are very public. Probably the most public kind of sin is when a young lady gets pregnant out of wedlock, and you think, oh, she's been... uh, She's made some bad decisions. She's been immoral. And I know uh, single moms that aren't in the church today because they had this happen to them and they they felt this embarrassment. I want you to know that is not a reason you should ever let yourself be separated from the house of the Lord. We love you whether your sin is public or whether your sin is private. God will make a place for you in this house. All you have to do is be willing to find an altar and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Make my heart clean. And this church will love you just as much after the air as we did before the air. I have a couple times in my ministry been in a situation where there was a very public sin like that. Once you, uh, you know, these poor, uh, these you poor mothers, you're stronger than all of us. You're walking around big as a house. There ain't no hiding that, honey. Everybody know about that. <laughs> and, so, and then you have this baby. I want to have good news for you. As soon as you have that baby, everyone's going to forget about you. They're going to be too busy kissing that baby to worry about you and your stuff. Don't let that kind of a public sin separate you from the house of God. The truth is, some of us are sitting here today, and I said us intentionally because I don't want to have the sound of a judgmental heart, but some of us, we have sins hidden on our computers right now, and nobody knows it, and we get to come in the house of God and act like we're all holy and we're all right, and you could go home and give us your computer password, and we would know all about your junk, but you can come to the house and fake it. Let me tell you, you are no better than the person who can't fake it. We are all of us in need of of mercy in our life. I'm not saying it's okay to be a sinner. I'm saying God loves sinners. I'm not saying it's okay to be immoral. I'm saying God died for immoral people while we were yet sinners. (laughs) 
something that's happened to me several times now uh, was I've talked, I've counseled with parents who had a daughter who uh, became pregnant out of uh, a wedlock, and they they are horrified, they're embarrassed, and they don't want to, you know, there's this first tendency, oh, what will people think of us, and our daughter has shamed us, blah, 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 and the first thing I tell them every single time I've been in this situation, I shock them, and I say this, I just want to remind you before we get started, because they're sitting here, they're chewing their fingernails up to the elbow, they're a nervous wreck, someone's going to thank the devil invented sex. (laughs) The devil didn't invent sex. It can be troublesome, honey. It can be troublesome. But I want you to see, the first thing I tell them is this, that what I want to tell you right now, now the the boy gets to get away with it, because you know us men, we got nothing on us. You know, you women, y'all are doomed. I'm just having fun, just having fun. I love all of you. Uh, I tell the parents, I say, look, I want you to see, your daughter is just as valuable now as she was before this happened. She is not less valuable. I have a little girl, that little girl, when she's a teenager, she's going to call me seven sorts of trouble because she's like her mama. I know it's coming. I know. How do you think we got married? Now I'm cutting up. I love you, darling. You're awesome. I want you to see this. They're just as valuable afterwards. Sin is not forever. Grace is forever. Shame is not forever. Forgiveness is forever. Sin doth not endure forever, but mercy endures forever. My sin is not eternal, but his mercy endures forever. Yeah. So I just want to say this. I want to say this to the camera. How y'all doing? God bless you. All y'all out there in radio land. Praise the Lord. Send money. Yes. Just kidding. Having fun. If you're watching wherever you are and you go to a church where you have quit going because of shame, I would like to invite you to First Church. We're not proselyting if you're going to a church. Don't be causing trouble. But I'm just saying, if you quit church, can I have some agreement in the house? We'll love you right here. We are not better than anybody here at First Church. I know that's a little awkward. I don't do that very often, but y'all can talk bad about me later. So I want you to see these sons of Korah. They're, they're, they're kind of embarrassment, but God includes them. He says, no, 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 let's make a place for them. And he puts them as doorkeepers in the house. So the first people you see is people who aren't supposed to be there. And the very first people, and they're at the door to the house of God. And it's almost as though the Lord has set up this situation where the people who are welcoming you, um, they don't deserve to be there either. So they're happy to see you. And if you're like on the edge of his house, like should the prodigal son go back to his father's house, the Lord did not put the elder brother at the door. (laughs) That just blessed me. Sorry. The Lord put the sons of Korah at the door because the elder brother is going to meet you like this. You've been acting the fool. My God, come on in. And the son of Korah is going to say, (laughs) me too. (laughs) Y'all come on in. God loves you. He made a place for crazy people like me, so you'll be welcome here too. 
look at me. There's no way you're more embarrassing than I am. I will never live down what my ignorant dad did. You ought to come on in. We'll love you. Now, you could make an argument, and some people have, that it was a place that was a little bit shameful because it was the furthest away from the Shekinah. But I want you to know the Lord put the sons of Korah there so people who were the furthest away would be welcome before they met some of the people who were closer in. The Lord wanted them to know, first of all, the house of God was a good place to be. Also, because it's sons of Korah, it's not just a place of humility at the door. It's a place of grace at the door. And finally, they are going to stay there through the whole worship service, through the whole celebration of the feasts and of the sacraments of the Jewish faith. It becomes ultimately a position of love because they say, I would rather be here than a thousand days. I would rather have a short life in the presence of a God, God than a long life in the ways of this world. And so it becomes a place of invitation, a place of acceptance, and a place of joy. Now here's what's amazing to me. The children of Israel sang this Psalm 84 as one of the Psalms of Ascent. So whenever they make a pilgrimage to the house of, of God at Jerusalem and they come to the temple, most of them were spread. The They call it, the word for it is a diaspora or a spreading. Uh, they are spread all through the Mediterranean basin. And when they made a pilgrimage, they would get on a ship and they would come to a port near the, 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 along the seacoast there of Israel. And then they would make a short overland journey because it was so difficult and dangerous to travel overland. Uh, they would make, take a ship to the port city and then they would walk up to Jerusalem. And they called it a psalm of ascent because Jerusalem is set in the hills. And when you land at the seacoast, you climb up into the hills to get to that city of peace, that city of God, Jerusalem. And so you see these people as they come up, they are singing as they come and they sing the themes of Psalm 84, which if you were to look from simply the themes, the first four, four verses gives you a theme of worship, an expectation of worship. It's as though you got up in the morning and started coming to church. And on the way to church, as you got in the car, you begin to say, Lord, I'm excited about what church is going to be today. I'm going to praise you today because you're worthy. I haven't had the best week, but you've had a great week. And I'm going to praise you because you're the Lord over all of my problems. You create a theme of expectation. And then you sing verses 5 through 8, this, this, this journey, this journey as a worship to the place of worship. And then the third theme in verses 9 through 12, you exalt the one to, that you are going to worship. And so you create a praise and worship service on your way to the praise and worship service. Why would you do that? Because it's not duty, it's love. It's not simply, I've got to go to church. It is, I get to go to church. If you take a kid somewhere they really want to go, they will celebrate as soon as you tell them you're going. 
And so if I take my little, my little people, I have a, a four-year-old little girl and an 11-year-old little boy. If I take them to a restaurant where they like to go, they, have their, they become very opinionated about their favorite restaurants. And if I say, hey, guys, let's go to Pizza Hut, say, they don't say, okay. And then when we get to Pizza Hut, walk in the door and say, pizza, pizza, pizza hut. Mm, mm, mm. No, the moment I tell them, we're going to Pizza Hut, they're like, yay, we're going to Pizza Hut, we're going to Pizza Hut, yes we are, daddy, I'm going to eat a whole pizza, they do that immediately, that's how it ought to be when we decide to go to the house of the Lord, we don't just get happy when we get here, we're happy when we leave to get here, it's in our spirit, it's in our heart, it flows out of us, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so, and so I want to point out one passage here, uh, and then we are going to uh, pray together for a few moments. But I want to point out one passage here where the writer says, where we read, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in tents of wickedness for the Lord God. Somebody say, for the Lord God. For the Lord God. In other words, he's saying, I would rather have just a little bit of time in the house of the Lord. Now, why am I so excited? I would rather be a doorkeeper. Why would I rather be a doorkeeper? I would, I would, I, I just love going to church. Why do I love going to church? Here comes the four. The four is the reason why when we get here, we've said in the scripture, verse 10 of Psalms 84, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Rather be a doorkeeper. Dwell in tents of wickedness. Verse number 11, for the Lord God is a son and shield. A son and shield. Say it with me. A son and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Grace and glory. He's a son and a shield. He will give grace and glory. Why does this matter so much to me? Well, like the sons of Korah, I have every reason to receive judgment. And yet, look at me all loud and proud in the house of God. I deserve to receive rejection and look at me all happy and excited in the house of God. You see, the sun is the reason why there is life in our solar system. Without the sun, there is no life. It is the largest object in our solar system. It is several hundred times the largest, several thousand times larger than the largest planet in our solar system. And it's thousands upon thousands times larger than the earth that we live on. It is so powerful that even though you are 70 odd million, don't 93 odd million thank God for nerds on the front row 93 odd million miles away it is so powerful that 93 million miles away if you stay out in it it will burn you that's how powerful the sun is. You are nearly a hundred million miles. That doesn't even make sense to you. That's just like, uh, yeah. So uh, if you were a little bit closer, if the earth was a little bit closer, it would kill all life on earth. 
You see, God is a son. He is the son of righteousness, S-U-N. But he is also the son, S-O-N, of God. You know this. We celebrate this. My point is this. Like the sons of Korah, I cannot stand the righteousness, the glory, the holiness of God. And if he was only a son of righteousness, there would be no place for this son of Korah in his presence and his holiness. When we talk about holiness, we're usually talking about ourselves because we don't understand the holiness of God. Uh, there is no such thing as human holiness, okay? We don't have any holiness. God is the only one who is holy. Uh, we would be slain by his holiness. Like Moses, we can't see the Lord and he hides us in a cleft of the rock. That's right. If we only had a son of righteousness, there would be no room for me, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for anybody here in his presence. But why can the sons of Korah say, I love being in the presence of God? Because he's not just a son, he is a shield. This in one word picture is grace in a psalm. This is hope in a psalm. What are you shielding us from? He's shielding us from himself. So, the sons of Korah are welcome in the house because although he is a son of righteousness, he has a shield to protect us. And when he looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees our shield. You are all covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As a lamb without spot or blemish, you are all covered by a shield. Therefore, we have glory and we have grace. That's why we have a church here today. None of us are good enough for God. None of us are worthy of the unmerited favor of God. But he has covered us that we might be with him. And if it were not for God, we would not be with him. Hear me. Don't ever let your sins drive you away from his presence. Just say a simple prayer of repentance and draw nigh unto him and see if he does not draw nigh unto you. He is the one who has included you. It's not what you or I have done. He has included us. That is why the fact that we're here is to the glory of his name. The fact that imperfect people glorify God is part of his glory. I'll preach that another time, but it's deep and beautiful. The fact that the sons of Korah are out front saying, hey y'all, come on in. I'm so excited. I got excited when I left church this morning and here I am and here you are. It's going to be a great day. That's what I'm talking about. That is to the glory of God. We've been included. We've been included. Uh, Jeremy, run up here. Run up here real quick. I asked Jeremy to help me because Jeremy uh, has a beautiful little baby here. This, this little lude's named Teddy. And if you haven't met Teddy yet, we have a diaper that needs to be changed. So, <laughs> no. This is Teddy. This dude is, don't fall down now. No, I ain't got no time for no drama. Hey, buddy, you want to say hi to everybody? Take your hand and say, hello. Hello. 
How old's Teddy? Uh, six months. Six months? Teddy is just about as fine a baby as I've ever tried to steal in my life. <laughs> and so Teddy's six months old. Now let me tell you what a six-month-old baby can do. Nothing. <laughs> they can chew things up. And they can, I think they can roll over at six months. They roll over pretty quick, right? So he's rolling over really good. Is he crawling yet? Almost. Almost. So he's rocking on his belly saying, mm. <laughs> So, okay. So that's where, that's where Teddy is. Well, now, uh, Teddy is just such a fine little fella right here. I just really want to take him with me. You want to testify? Say that again. Right here. Right in the microphone. <laughs> just like his dad. Won't, won't. <laughs> So here's the deal. So Jeremy, Jeremy is like our technical director here at the church. He handles all the technical stuff. I have very rarely met computer nerds that are faster than me at learning computer nerd kind of stuff. But Jeremy's a good bit faster at me than me at learning computer nerd stuff. And by the time I've downloaded the manual, he pretty much has figured out what needs to happen. And he's a smart guy. He's big. He's strong. He's intelligent. He's highly educated. He, and uh, he's, a, he's a fine fella. And you'll see him running all over for the church fixing stuff. So if you see him, he'll have, he needs to wear a track suit on Sunday. But he's running around fixing stuff, all right? Uh, but you'll see this little guy right here with him running around. Now, Teddy could easily think he was the one fixing stuff. So I'm going to give you an example of how the Lord uses me. This is the Lord. You get to be the Lord. Woo, most spiritual you've ever been. And this is me right here. Okay, we have a problem over here. We're gonna run over here. Run over, run over, run over, run over here, right here. Now fix something. Pretend you're fixing something. Okay, he fixed something. All right, Teddy, 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 Teddy. Good job, buddy. High five. Now run over here. Run over here. Run over. Here. We're gonna fix something right here. Fix something. Fix something. Fix something. Good job, Teddy. Way to go. Why does Teddy get to run all over the church? And fix everything. Because his dad, the Lord, put him in a carrier. And now he gets to wander around. <laughs> Give Teddy a hand, everybody. So if you don't get anything else I'm saying, I want you to hear this. You have been included. You couldn't survive God's work, God's glory, God's holiness, God's majesty. So he developed one of those slings and a shield for you. And he's placed you in the work of God. You. Flawed you. Somebody say, flawed me. How did we get included? He's not just a son of righteousness. He is a shield of grace. And so here we are, included in the kingdom of God, like a son of Korah. It wasn't enough for us to be introduced to a son of righteousness if our own transgression disqualifies us. But if somehow the Son of God can make a way for us to be included, we're going to need a shield of grace. That's the story of the gospel right there. The good news, you've been included. 
God loves you. We all know about the sins of your past, kind of. Some of you do, some of we don't. None of you do. We want to know. But this is what I want you to see. God has included you. Because of that, you ought to walk differently. Amen. You ought to speak with more authority. You ought to pray with more confidence. You ought to worship with a sense of belonging. You ought to cast out the fears that are in your life. You should speak encouragement one to another and say, I've been included in the great work of God. No, I don't deserve it. But look at me all up in the church house. Because God was not just glory. He was also grace. He was not just truth. He was also mercy. And I am a partaker of the house of God. I am a partaker of the promises of God. Let's all stand all across the house. Would you lift your hands right where you're standing and would you give God praise all across the church house right now? Oh, we bless your name, oh God. We bless your name, oh God. We praise you. I pray for every individual here. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.